Acheron, The Demon King, by Morgan Huxley. Find more great stories at audioiron.com. Chapter 3 She called me a couple of hours ago, said James. His voice was accompanied by the normal cell phone conference call static and the sound of students talking in one of the university's large dining halls. She's made the rounds, said Ahmed. His landline connection from the hospital was crystal clear. Everyone on the list got a call and confirmed their relationship with the society, despite the breach in protocol. I hope you reminded everyone that it is up to me to determine society protocol, said Stuart. Mary wants to feel safe. It costs us nothing for her to know who a few of us are. What if she shares her list with others? asked James. She won't, said Stuart. I told her not to. Then he terminated the call. Stuart's Cambridge office had a wonderful view of King's College. The setting sun set the stones on fire and he wondered for the umpteenth time how many more times he would get to see this remarkable view. At thirty years old he was one of the youngest professors on campus. He didn't feel ready to retire. It occurred to him that he had lived five years longer than the naive girl he was so carefully recruiting. Was it better to have time to grieve what you were giving up, or was it easier to have it stripped away without warning? That was a choice Mary wouldn't have to make. Later that night, seated before the fire, Mary pondered the invitation she had received. Researching the names on the list, then calling the numbers Stuart had provided, had proved quite informative. In addition to James and Ahmed, she had spoken to an eminent physicist who was on track to win a Nobel Prize, a self-made businessman worth a hundred million pounds, and an aide to the Prime Minister. Each of the men had accepted her call, swiftly proved their identity, then acknowledged they were members of the society. Immediately after that, each of them had then cordially terminated the call. Why would Stuart ask her to join such an elite organization? What possible value could she bring to such an astonishing group of people? Beyond that, why was she even considering such an escapade? Raised by nuns who represented the only family she had ever known, she had once considered taking orders. Only the mother superior's insistence that she go to college first had prevented her from following that inclination. Four years spent pursuing a degree in fine arts at a large university had introduced her to a wider world and other beliefs. She'd taken two lovers before she met David, then felt the burden of both guilt and resentment whenever she took them to bed. She had begun to wonder how an all-knowing, all-loving, deity could judge humans so harshly. When her passion for David had become something akin to love, and she knew she wanted to start a family, she had prayed every day that he would ask to marry her. Those prayers were never answered and in time she had come to feel it was because there was no one in heaven to hear them. What proof was there that the nun's deity had ever existed? In the seasons, the cycle of birth and death, the bonds between women, she had felt something she had hoped to fill the void left by the loss of her faith. But it had not been her spells and incantations that granted so many wishes. It had been the magic Stuart and his friends had brought to her Beltane fire. Is this Stuart? Mary asked. She was surprised to find herself calling anyone at two in the morning, but she had to act before she changed her mind. She hadn't even called David to ask for his permission to join this exotic club. She justified her decision with the knowledge that he would never have called to ask her permission if their positions were reversed. David always did exactly as he pleased. Of course, said Stuart. He was cordial, as though it were two in the afternoon and he just returned from class. Yes, she said, and her pulse raced with the word. I agree to your terms. 
I am glad to hear you'll be joining us. I'll be by tomorrow night with something for you to sign, he said. Then he waited a little time for her to say something more. When she didn't, he went on. Did you know that it's very early in the morning? You should go to bed. We have a lot to do in the days ahead. I will, said Mary. Thank you. Hanging up the phone she went upstairs to take a shower, then climbed between her freshly laundered sheets. For the first time in what felt like forever, she felt completely at peace with the world. Just after dusk the next day, Stuart did indeed appear at her door. I brought Ahmed, he said as he entered. I hope you don't mind. Of course not, said Mary. She stepped aside to admit the men, noting both were wearing somber clothes. For a moment she was unreasonably satisfied with her own choice of a long black dress. Of course, witches wore black in the evening. Ahmed moved past her to set a large wooden box on the coffee table. Its surface rippled with a relief of intertwined roses. This is a silver-lined chest from the Crusades and it is very heavy, he said as she looked at it, thank you for letting me put it down. Mary nodded. Tearing her eyes away from the box, she glanced up at Ahmed. I hope you've been well since we spoke, she told him. Ahmed gave his assent with a nod. I have a new batch of poisonous plants fresh in from the tropics and two assistants to help me catalogue them. I don't know that I could possibly be happier. You are a lucky man, Mary said, unable to control a smile at the idea that poisons could cause him such contentment. She turned to look at Stuart. May I offer you tea? Coffee? Thank you, not just at present, he replied. He sat on the couch and gestured at the armchair next to him. We've a few matters to discuss. Please sit down. Mary nodded, relieved that she could dispense with the pleasantries of conversation and refreshment. She took her seat and waited for these strange men to tell her how things would proceed. I don't suppose you read Latin, Stuart said as he pulled the top off the rosewood box to reveal a very thick stack of yellow-brown parchment. I did at one time, after a fashion. Catholic school has its merits. Mary stared at the top page in the box. She saw the writing on it was in a curious brown ink. These are contracts written and signed by current members of our society. Have you heard of such agreements? Stuart handed her the top document so she could review it more closely. Yes, Mary said. Witches used to sign agreements in blood when they sold their souls to the devil. Certainly, she had gone insane. Well, the blood part is right. As for the devil and your soul, you won't find a mention of either in our contract. We want you to agree to a few very earthly requirements, and we want you to take your commitment very seriously. Mary was watching Stuart. She saw he was dead serious about the promise he was asking her to make. Was she that sincere? It occurred to her that she could turn these men out into the street and then go back to her safe life of pots, masks, and ineffectual magic parties. Did she want to do that? You will tell no one the name of society members. You will not discuss what we say or do. You will do everything we ask you to do when we ask you to do it. You will not balk. You will not make excuses. And if I break these rules? Mary asked. Our fellowship has rarely endured a breach, but when it has happened those who have violated their oath have suffered greatly. And if I sign that, you will teach me magic, Mary said. Yes, said Stuart. He brought a clean piece of parchment up from the bottom of the box. And you all signed agreements just like this, Mary continued. You are saying everyone I spoke to yesterday signed a document just like mine. Exactly the same, said Stuart. 
He reached forward to pull a long feather and a small bowl from the box before he pushed it aside. Placing the blank page before her, he placed the feather across it. This contract must be written by you and your own blood. I think the original intent was to ensure members understood the sincere nature of the address. Stuart paused, waiting for an objection. When one was not forthcoming, he continued. Hence our need for Ahmed. The last time I did this we had to make a run to the hospital. To spare you such discomfort, Ahmed will be drawing your blood. Subsequently, I'll tell you what to write in Latin. Misspelling is of little consequence in this matter. Mary offered her left hand to Ahmed. Still standing, Ahmed removed a syringe from the breast pocket of his jacket. We'll just take the blood from the back of your hand. Ordering her to make a fist, he tapped until engorged veins made an appearance through her skin. Turn your head if you like, he said as he pulled the orange cap from the needle. Mary looked away and felt the prick of the steel as it slid into a vein on the back of her hand. She controlled the urge to draw it away by staring into the fire. There, all patched up, said Ahmed as the needle came out. He placed a strip of white tape over the tiny wound. Here you go, said Stuart as he handed her the quill. Ahmed ejected the blood he had collected into the silver bowl. It looked ruby-colored in the dim light. The contract was mercifully short and Mary felt the Latin striking a familiar chord in her childhood memories. The rules were no more and no less than what Stuart had described to her. No mention of God, the devil, or her soul. Yet, when it came time to sign her name, she hesitated. Stuart said, you must be certain before you sign. Mary thought about the names on Stuart's list, the magic she'd seen, the kindly demon she'd imagined as a child, and the idea of a deity that cared enough to answer prayers. Still she hesitated. You don't have to do this, said Stuart gently. Mary dipped the feather in blood and wrote her name on the page. She had never felt really special to anyone, never been an important part of anything, and these men wanted her for some great work. If they made good on their promise, she would make good on hers. Stuart took the grisly document away and put it into the metal and wood box. He fixed the heavy lind on top while Armour disappeared into the kitchen to dispose of the syringe, feather, and blood. Stuart rose and said, Midsummer is in less than a fortnight. You'll be initiated into the society then, he said. Wait, said Mary. I thought that's what the agreement was for. Your initiation will be a physical introduction. You meet us, we meet you, there are vows. We'll go over the details later in the week, said Stuart. If we can get together on Thursday, I can start your training. Ahmed, having returned to the room, picked up the box. Thursday, replied Mary with more confidence than she felt. Shall I bring my own bandages? Before Stuart could respond, the house phone on the table beside her began to ring. You answer that and I'll see you later this week, said Stuart. I believe you'll find it's David, calling to tell you how very well his business in Japan is going. A moment later he and Ahmed were out the door, leaving her to talk to David on her own. Recording and Story Copyright 2020 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved.
Music created by D. Kurtzman and licensed from Pond5. Find more great stories at audioiron.com.